My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Today on the podcast, my conversation with the Kingston, Ontario rock band, Glorious Sons. And I'd like to start out with a little bit of advice. If you're listening to this and you're a kid and thinking about starting a rock band, I feel like if you really want to make it, if you want to play arenas, sell millions of records, get your sibling, teach them how to play guitar, and start writing songs together. It can't just be a coincidence that in the history of rock and roll, it's sibling after sibling after sibling. I mean, the Van Halens, the Gibbs, the Everleys, the Almonds, the Youngs, the Wilsons, that's Brian, Dennis, and Carl, and Anne and Nancy. And on and on it goes. And that works here in Canada, too. Take my next guest, Brett and Jay Emmons. They are the founders and bedrock members of the Kingston rock band Glorious Sons. You might remember them from uh, this song, which won the Majuno, which I think is one of the best Canadian rock songs of the past decade. SOS or Sawed Off Shotgun by the Glorious Sons, one of the songs that has earned the band and the brothers international success and a bucket full of awards. And as we talk about in this conversation, respect in an industry that doesn't often give it easily, especially if you're not part of the in crowd. The Emmons brothers are back with their new record, Glory. They dropped by the Q studio to talk about it, how they ended up getting together in the first place, and what it's like when a song by another band goes to number one but it's about you and your name is in the title. Here's our conversation. How are you? Good. We're good. Thanks for having us. It's been really amazing to see what, what has become of, of the band over the past little while. I know this is a weird question, but were there moment, was there a moment where you were kind of like, oh, this thing's actually kind of starting to work here? Um, to be honest, I always felt like it was working. Uh, there was moments where I felt like it wasn't. Um, I think probably everybody goes through that, but... I can just remember being in like a bar with Jay playing music and then going back uh, and unloading our stuff and we started pouring beer from the taps like without them knowing and I was sitting around looking at all my friends and there was 200 people there at a show the night before and I was like, oh my God, I can do this for my life. And that was like the first time that it flushed over me and ever since then I haven't really felt like it hasn't worked in a way. You know, I never felt like... Um, it's not going to work. Who were the bands, Jay, when when you were starting out that made you want to do this in the first place? Did you go to shows and think, I, I, I want to be up there? I mean... We were classic rock yes, boys. We were, <laughs> through and through. But, you were going, you were going but, to see Trooper and April Lion? Yeah, and seriously. <laughs> no, Tom like, Cochran was my first show. Like, I mean, there's obviously the, the main huge influences, like, you know, said a million times, like the Stones and bands like that. But like, but they weren't the, playing Kingston. The, the Trues were always the band for me. Okay, it was always the Trues. Um, Gentlemen, husbands. I remember Jay. Yeah, they were they were coming up at the time, and um, but like, you know, Sheepdogs were kind of breaking loose when we started this band, and then Monster Truck. Like all those bands were like, 
like there was like this whole rock and roll thing going on and you know Adam and, and Younger who were in the band you know they they were listening to all this stuff so we were just kind of like jamming on like I would say Sheepdogs probably the most back then right when we first started out it was like that it was Learn and Burn that right. record yeah the funny yeah. thing is we get lumped in with a lot of those bands but I was listening to them in like grade 9 <laughs> Swear to God, I I remember putting on uh, Jackson Square in high school and like using that for like school projects. Arkell's Jackson Square, yeah, yeah. Arkell's Jackson Square was a huge one for sure. Like they were like I was still a kid when like these albums were getting huge, and I fell in love with them. What was behind asking? I never asked you this last time. What was behind asking Brett to be in, in the band? Was it just that you needed someone to sing, and you knew that Brett sang? Well. I mean, I was singing. I'm I'm not that bad. Younger okay. was singing. Everyone in the band really liked the way Younger sang. Um, and Brett would come back from the East Coast and play tambourine. And like everyone would be like, "Who the is your tambourine player?" <laughs> like he is by far the most like captivating guy on the stage, and he wasn't doing anything. <laughs> he was just up there like gyrating and playing the tambourine. And uh, you know, then all of a sudden he started writing songs and we started performing a couple of these songs that he's written. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, like it becomes very clear that this is the guy. And then we started working with John Angus from the trues. And he was like, you know, Brett's the singer, right? Like, and we were like, sure. I mean, were you really like, sure? Like, were you like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. It was a, it was a bit of a process because we released, uh, released the EP with two singers on it. And then, uh, the album, it ended up, I think it was a natural process in the sense that I think Younger ended up becoming more and more disenfranchised with the project as I started singing more. Yeah. Not just that. I think there was some other stuff, too. Yeah. Um, But then I just wrote a lot. And, um, yeah, there was a a lot of talks around that period of, like, what's going to happen? Because uh, I guess I don't really know how to say it. I kind of felt like I just slowly kind of stole the baton in a way. I think the thing that I've always really admired about the Glorious Sons, and maybe the thing I was trying to say off the very top, which I, I don't know if I articulated as well, sometimes it feels like there's a band that the Canadian music industry chooses to be a really big band, and they do their best to be a really big band, and it kind of works. And then it felt like with the Glorious Sons, there was just this other band that everyone was kind of going like, <laughs> oh, just this band out of Kingston playing rock and roll. Like, Glorious Sons, okay, cool, right on, you know? And and it it it, it became the biggest thing. And, and uh, uh, like under the nose of so-called industry people who may have not looked your way, you started just reaching out to people and selling out arenas. And I always thought that was really admirable. And I always thought that was a really good way to do your business. And I don't need you to agree with me, but it does give me, it, it does make me not worry too much about a break in momentum for you guys. I will say there's a lot of really good people behind that that deserve some credit. A lot of credit for all of that, to be honest. Our um, manager's been beating yeah. his chest since day one and been yeah. told that he's a crazy man, which he is crazy, but we love him. <laughs> but, you know, he I think he's probably been laughed out of a few rooms from our first album to where we are now, just kind of beating his chest for us. And, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people who really helped that process. Um, and it did feel that way a little bit for us. Um, yeah. 
we were at the Junos the first time being at the Junos and this guy took our manager aside and told us in front of us, told him that we weren't a real band, like right in front of us. And um, it's kind of a humbling experience, but it's all, it also puts this like drive in your chest to, you know, prove that person wrong. Yeah. Because we might not have been the best at our instruments at the time or anything, but we all kind of believed in our songwriting skills and who we were and, Whatnot. And live performance, too, you know, yeah. that you could deliver a show. And we always knew that. Um, so that just kind of motivated us uh, in, a, in a real way. But we did feel like a little bit kind of, you know, we weren't indie darlings or, um, you yeah. know, part of things very much. We also, part of that we put on ourselves, too. We kind of had a gang mentality amongst each other where... We like nothing more than to finish a show and drink together and just, you know, put on shenanigans and, you know, fall asleep and wake up and get to the next place. We never were really a community-oriented <laughs> band. We want to just play rock and roll and, you know, be with our fans. Jay, Jay you do strike me as someone who might like a challenge. The, you, 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 I don't know what it is about you, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you do strike me as someone who might enjoy someone saying to me, to you, I don't know about you guys. I don't know what's going to work. Yeah, out. I'm pretty sure I probably snapped. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes me really proud and happy to to prove people like that wrong because I I feel like there was a little bit of that, or maybe a lot of that when we were first coming up, and it's like it never it never stopped us. I'll say at the same time that I, I like your band a lot, and also I wouldn't want to be the guy in the bar at 2 a.m. telling you I don't like your band. <laughs> Man, I, I would probably actually just have a huge conversation with a guy. If he ever came up to me, I'd just be like, you know, be, I love that. Actually, <laughs> one of his best friends yeah. did that to us in Kingston. His, no, really? One of his best friends now took Jay. They were at the mansion, um, and he took Jay, and, he, and it was the same thing. He was like, you see this band up there? He was out supporting... They didn't know each other at the time. He was mm -hmm. out supporting one of his friends' band. He was like, that's a real band. And we were getting all this buzz from Kingston. And him and Jay now are best buddies. So, like, Jay's got this facade of, like, this real, like, tough guy kind of thing. Because mm. it's mainly because of his deadly eyes. But um, <laughs> That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, I think, I think we're a little more open to, like, kind of, yeah. you know, conversation and changing your mind about that stuff well i'll, I'll say it again I do, I, I do i do love the band and i like the new record too let's listen to some of it take a listen to this you see the pixelated screen in the middle of the square with your face on it look at you up there it's just a smile it's just a look in just one moment the world is Yesterday I made um, yesterday I made Greg Keeler and Jim Cuddy really uncomfortable by forcing them to say things about one another in front of in front of one another. It's hilarious. But I'm gonna do I'm gonna do it to you right now, so you're not getting you're not getting away with it. Um, because we read a comment on YouTube of that song of uh, that song Dream, and it said, um, I don't know of a better lyricist out right now. Brett has an uncanny ability to paint pictures with words. It's like I can see the song while I listen. It's it's absolutely uh, amazing. Jay, what makes Brett a great 
lyricist to you? You've said a couple of times how great you want to leave, Brett. You can leave if you want. <laughs> but um, um, talk to me a little bit about that. Because I can tell you, I wouldn't normally ask, but you, you seem to have an appreciation for it. So it's, it's, I mean, first of all, the dedication to the craft, you know, goes a long way. This guy never stops working, never stops writing. Um, but that being said, even when he was in high school and he first started writing music and we started playing together, it's like, it's like, where's this guy coming up with these songs? It's like, literally like we'd be playing around a campfire for a handful of family members and I'd be like 19, 20 and he was 13, 14. And his songs were just better than anything I could ever conjure up. You know, it was like, they all hit the mark. Like he had the way of like creating these like small town, like Bruce Springsteen-esque kind of ballads mm -hmm. and making it feel real, even when he was that young. Mm -hmm. And he's continued to work on that from, you know. So um, what's the question? What makes Brett a great lyricist? I think it's it's the fact that he can make like everyday scenarios that everyone experiences that are definitely unique to himself, but he can make it f you feel like it's you yeah. in that situation. I think that's what's great about Brett. Yeah, I've been thinking about it in the line. This is weird for you. I, I've been thinking about it in terms of like um, compassion without exploitation. Like I think when we write about, when people are sort of said to be writing about everyday people, oftentimes it can sound exploitative or condescending, yeah. but the lyrics always sound like, I'm one of you, I understand yeah. you, and I, and I care about you. Yeah. Do you want to go? Are you feeling good? <laughs> Thank you. I'll go. Yeah. Do you feel? Do you, what do you need? Do you, oh, you, I thought yeah. you meant my turn. Yeah. No. Do you want? No. Turn. No. Do you want to take a break? Do you want to? Do you want to? <laughs> no, do you want to right. go have a little lie down? <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about what that song's about. Uh, uh it's about Jordan. Um, so he, it, I made Jordan do this. You're gonna have to tell people who Jordan is. Ah, uh, Jordan's uh, the singer of the Beaches, who I was in a relationship with good. for three years. Because Jordan did that to me. She said, "Well, this song's about Brett," and I said. You got to tell people. Yeah, I'm not going to just move on. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, go on. Um, yeah. So that's about her, and I just I envision her kind of, um, you know, when we broke up, it was extremely hard, and um, I think for her too. And I just was trying to reaffirm, I guess, a position of uh, being in the now because you could always go back to the nostalgia and it's poison but you know the the whole song's about being in the now despite you you always go back to that chorus which is um you know the past um but the actual song lies in the meat of the the lyrics in the verse where it's like uh your face on the pixelated screen in the square look at you up there that's like me telling her like look at what your world like consists of and um you know how powerful that is it's a beautiful song thank you what are you guys just putting out what are you and your you and jordan just putting out songs about one another on the <laughs> record? is that what's going on well i mean there's no real getting around it when you when you're breaking up off an album cycle yeah so there was really no way that we could yeah I mean, this is not. I'm not TMZ here. No, I know. I don't. I don't. I don't have too much of an interest in what, what goes on in your personal life with your with your. Yeah. Like, I, even if I, even if I did care, I still probably wouldn't ask because it's none of my business. Can I ask how the song with your name thing is? Yeah, 
Yeah, what do you what do you want to know? How how is it having a song with your name in it? Blame Brett, song by the Beaches. It's big on the radio. How is that for you? So there's been like um, three probably. What do you want to know? There's I'm... been three phases to it. <laughs> okay. So the first phase was like kind of laughing. We were just kind of laughing about it. And then when it came out, I was like getting these messages from these, not messages like comments and whatnot on social media about how much of a piece of crap I was. And then I kind of got upset. And then the third phase came of uh, just kind of, I just had to do kind of the work of, okay, listen, I've been in, been with this girl for years now. I've seen how hard she works. I've seen her make melodies for entire songs in a matter of like eight minutes, sitting beside me in a car while we're driving around. Uh, whether it was going to be a, a song with my name in it or whatever, she deserves all the success that she can get in that way. Um I still would have preferred to be honest and not have a song with my name in it. Um, just that's the nature of who I am. I think uh, I don't really like run toward the light when it comes to this kind of stuff. I don't want to um, be the talk of the town or yeah that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's also this very small part of me which kind of laughs about the fact that I can kind of be like. Uh, Margaret Trudeau or somebody like that. <laughs> you know, there's like, you know, you also kind of start laughing about it once it passes and once you're done getting messages from 13-year-old girls <laughs> telling you about how much of a piece of <laughs> shit you are. You, you kind of like... And it, the other thing it did is I realized how little that stuff mattered. Yeah. Like you, it took like two weeks for me to get over it and get on with my life. Like, really didn't hurt too bad yeah. yeah well and listen thanks for talking about it i know it's no it's, it's, it's a weird thing to talk about no know? it's all right all right okay um here's my second question i'm like joking i, don't have <laughs> I was ready for <laughs> I, don't, I don't have another question honestly i haven't talked about it yet so i don't mind talking about it i didn't know if you did want to talk about it it's a yeah. weird thing to do you know i've had friends have songs written about them before and, yeah. and get really big and it's a weird experience i can only imagine that i actually hated the thought of not talking about it for the longest time because you know we're not going to go on social media and start a Tupac Biggie war. <laughs> me and Jordan are still friends. But, um, yeah, no, it doesn't really bother me at this point. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. Jay, I thought maybe you could pick a song off the record for us to play at the end. And I know the, the commercial impulse is to play the single. I'm hoping that you might not do that unless it's like particularly that. meaningful. But maybe something that I, th I, I can tell how 
deeply you think about this band. And I want to I want to know what 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 you want us to play. There's I think if if I'm choosing for the whole band, I would say I'd say you stay young. If I'm being selfish, I would choose cellular. What what do you want to do? Do you want to be I'm going to be selfish and choose cellular. Tell me about the song. And tell me why uh, you're picking it. It's about my grandpa. So, um, you know, Brett first showed me this song. I w- we were both in Nashville, and it was like this piano thing, you know, that you hear off the top. But the lyrics were all pretty much the same. And it wasn't like a rock song at the time. It was a ballad. And I was like, what the heck is this? And it just, like, hit me like a freight train, right? Like it's just so much nostalgia and so much, um, like just painted that picture of my grandfather and his house and his demeanor, like holding a baby, smoking a cigarette. Like he's just sitting there, not a care in the world, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that song, it's probably my favorite song ever in our catalog. So. Well, let's play it. Let's play it. Um, I hope you can I hope you know that this is not false stuff for me. I'm, I'm rooting for you guys all the time. It's really been great to see what's been going on for you guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Yeah. Um, um, Brett and J.M. into the Glorious Suns embarking on a cross-Canada tour in the winter, by the way. It's, it's <laughs> always in the winter. You ready for it? You feeling good? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got no a choice. You got yeah. a coat? You feeling all right? Yeah. All right. It's a lot of drinking. Uh, <laughs> head to thegloriousons.com for those dates. Here's a song you'll hear out on the road. This is The Glorious Sons with Cellular. Brand new album is called Glory. That's the Glorious Sons and Cellular. They're heading out on a massive Canadian tour in the winter starting this week. So come on out, bring your coat and a cup of tea. Head to thegloriousons.com for those dates. All right, that's it for this episode of Q. The other conversation we have up today is with the legendary uh, turntablist, producer, and musician, DJ Shadow. If you don't know DJ Shadow, um, again, very influential influence artists like Radiohead and, and Tricky and gorillas so uh today we talk a little bit about his career in sampling and i I am someone i I have some friends who are into the turntable world and into sampling and all that kind of stuff and i don't really know that much about it i learned so much not just about the process of making music with samples why dj shadow is turning his back on samples a little bit and how you should listen to instrumental music made on turntables go check that out wherever you got this podcast we'll see you soon later on For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.